it's pretty interesting. Um, some of the dumb things that we guys have done in our marriages uh, or that one was actually preceding their marriage. That's why I asked her, you know, did, did, why did you go ahead and marry him? Said, I don't know. Because <laughs> even this morning she's going, you know, he still does some things. Well, we all realize that, that we have problems in marriage. And so that's why we're starting this whole series. And at the end of this series on May 1st, Sunday, May 1st, we're having a second chance prom. And everybody is invited to that. Um, there's a sign up sheet back at the back. We're going to go to the Express Inn and Suites. And there we're going to have a sit down meal, catered meal. We're going to have pictures of you and and your your dummy um, ladies. Um, we're working on getting some limo rides so you can go around. We'll have a DJ dance. And so um, we'll have a line dance instructor. You know, we'll have some different things. So even if uh, your partner doesn't want to dance, um, you can still get out in a group and dance. And by the way, um, I was just thinking about this. Some of our some of our singles are are out of town. We got some that are here today, but singles are welcome to come as well. You can line dance with us and, and uh, you can have a good time and a meal and and uh, we won't give you a hard time for that. We promise, because one of the things that, that we say all the time is singles are a legitimate family of one. And so we don't ever want to single people out because of their marital status. And so you're welcome to come and, and to enjoy the time with us. It's going to be fun. We'll do some we'll do some stuff. Um, that's going to be a blast that night. So uh, sign up in the back if you're interested in that. Well, today I want to talk to you about the foundation for a high definition marriage. Now, I don't know. Surely, if you're breathing and you are around this area, you've been to Walmart, right? If nothing else, you've been to Walmart. You may not have been to Best Buy or to Circuit City or any of those big electronic stores, but you at least been to Walmart and you've seen that they have different types of televisions. This type of television doesn't really exist anymore. How much money would somebody give me for this thing? Just take it off my hands today. I was puffing bad by the time I got to the top of the stairs with this thing. It weighs several. Yes, sir. If I give you five bucks, you'll take it. That's not a bad deal. Now, the thing with high definition television, you've heard about high definition television, HD, HD, HD. Well, here's the thing about it. It's supposed to be super Clear. The clarity is supposed to be four times greater than one of these sets. In fact, the clarity, the, the, the amount of resolution is supposed to be two times greater than even DVD players, uh, the, the output of, of your common DVD player. And so um, these are a hot item right now. Now, um, another big deal about this is the price. Right. And that's kind of why I don't have one of those, because there's a higher cost. For a high definition television, these plasma TVs and all these things look great in the store, look, would look great on my wall. But I just cannot. In fact, my television at home, this is this is no lie either. My television at home, the, I guess the picture tube is going out because we my kids had timed it. My kids, by the way, watch less television now because this is the truth. Um, my kids timed it. When you turn on the TV, it takes it was taking about four and a half minutes for the bulb to warm up so that you get a picture on the screen. Now, Caleb told me this morning because I was going to change the clock, you know, and I had to do it on the, the VCR. It comes on the screen to do it. And, and I said, I turned on. I go, man, this is taking forever. He goes, Dad, it's up to 10 minutes for this thing to warm up. But I'm so cheap, I won't go buy another one. I'm like, ah, we got a few more months out of that thing. Um, so anyway, we are not high definition. There's a higher cost to high definition television. There's also a higher cost to high definition marriages. And I want to talk to us today about how we get to the point that we have high definition marriages. What started out so positively, so wrapped in love, so wrapped in promise. Well, all those forever words 
somehow gets sidetracked. And what we have is not high definition television. If we were to describe our marriages based on, you know, a TV uh, analogy, it might be the old 19 inch black and white with the rabbit ears coming out the top. And we want to figure out how to get from that situation into a situation of, of what God desires. God desires a high definition marriage that is a reflection to the watching world of his power. And we're going to talk about how to get there today. Well, there were some children across the nation were asked, what is love? And I wanted to share this with you as we got started. Here's just a few responses. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That was Billy, age four. That's pretty profound. Uh, Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. That's Carl, age five. That's that's pretty accurate description of dating, right? Love is when mommy takes and makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Uh, Danny, age seven. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. That's Noel, age seven. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. That's Chris, age eight. And I like this one. Jessica, age eight, says you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. People forget. And sometimes in our marriages, we forget what we promised before God and before witnesses. And we get involved in children and in our uh, in our professions and we go these different directions. And, and before long, we're living with a stranger and it doesn't resemble any of that um, of that type of love that we promised when we were standing before God. And sometimes it seems that our children understand more about love than than we do as adults. So. What we're going to do is look at God's ideal for uh, a high definition marriage. Now, if we're going to figure that out, we've got to figure out where we went wrong. And so there are three wrongs that do not make a right in marriage. First one is wrong power source, wrong power source. You can have all the right equipment for a high definition television feed. But if you do not have a high definition television feed coming into your house and then into your television, you are not going to have high definition clarity. And so what I want to talk about real quick is the wrong power source. Look at Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10. He says, does this sound as if I'm trying to win human approval? No, indeed. What I want is God's approval. Am I trying to be popular with people? If I were still trying to do so, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to circle those words. I think oh, you don't even have it there. I want you to write these words on your listening guide. Um, human approval, human approval, and then circle them because that's going to help you remember what we're talking about. Human approval. Circle those words. Paul says that you cannot seek the approval of God and the, and the approval of man at the same time. And many of the people you and I know, maybe even folks in this room, are seeking their sense of self-worth from people, possessions, or career. And uh, even though we've been designed by our creator to run on 220 volts, and this is the cool thing. I was showing my son this the other day. He was asking me what this thing was. And I said, well, this is a 220 volt cord. And I said, is it possible to plug this into a 110? And I was showing him. He goes, no, sir, it's not. However, what you and I tend to do is we have, it's like we have all these 110 cords and they're running to different significant people in our lives. We might have one cord running over here and we try to plug into mom and dad. You know, and, and a lot of us, quite honestly, even if our parents are gone, we're still trying to please mom and dad. And so we have this plugged into us and we're trying to get all of our sense of value from our mom and from our dad. And we might have another one that goes over here to our spouse. 
Because you know a lot of people try to get everything that they are in life from their spouse. And so they'll plug in over here and they'll have this end of the cord and they'll say, spouse, fill me up and, and just give me all of my sense of value and worth. And we might have another cord and it may be going to our job. It might go to our possessions. It might go to our achievements. And we've got all these 110 cords running all over the place, trying to plug them into our lives, trying to find a sense of value and meaning. The problem with that is... You and I were designed to run on 220. We're designed by God to run on 220. And people were never designed to meet our deepest needs. People, possessions, careers, they're all temporary. And I have a soul that was designed to live forever. And so I've got to get a different power source. If we're plugged into the temporary, we'll never get the proper voltage required to sustain this abundant life that Jesus said that that we could have, this promise that Jesus gave us. And that's why so few people are living, first of all, a victorious Christian life. And then by extension, that's why there are so few high definition marriages, because people are plugged into the wrong power source and it leaves you empty and it leaves a void on the inside. And so what we got to do is we got to remind ourselves of the ridiculousness of looking for something in other humans that only God can give us. Much of the dissatisfaction that we experience in marriage comes from expecting too much from it. We get the largest portion of our life's fulfillment from how our spouse treats us and how they feel about us. And that's asking too much of a human being. I was designed to be filled by God. So asking my wife to to play the position of God is putting way too much expectation on her. That is unfair. And whenever I plug into her instead of God, there's going to be an aching and a longing in my soul for something more. Many marital disputes result from James 4 2. The Bible is just incredibly practical. And look what it says. You want something you don't have. (laughs) Unmet expectations, right? That's where a lot of marital dissatisfaction comes from. James says we don't get what we want because we're looking in the wrong place. Instead of placing demands on your spouse, look to God to have your needs met. That way you can approach your spouse in the right spirit. And we'll talk about how to do that in just a second. So wrong power source is the first problem. Second problem is wrong purpose. Now, have you ever noticed how the, the focus shifts after, after we get married? You women have, haven't you? I hear this over and over. When we were dating, he did this. When we were dating, I felt like I was the most important person in the world. When we were dating, when we were engaged, but after marriage, you know, because when we were dating, it's what can I do for you? After we're married, it's get it yourself. What happens? Well, our focus is wrong. Um, <laughs> what happens is the true you comes out, you know, because you can't hide. You might can hide while you're dating. You might can hide because you can go home. But when you're married, you're both home and you take the mask off and the true you comes out. And when we're real honest, let's just be real honest in this whole series. When we're real honest, the true me is selfish and the true you is selfish. That is natural. It is supernatural to be unselfish. And that's what we've got to try to figure out. And we'll look at that in a minute. Well, let me illustrate how selfish we are. If I were to take a picture of this group right here, and then I were to hand out individually pictures to you, who would be the first person that you would look at in that picture? Yourself. And if you look good, guess what? It's a good picture. Everybody else can be cross-eyed spinach hanging out their teeth. And it's a good picture because you look good. We're a selfish People And we've got to figure out how not to be selfish. So what I want you to do is on your listening guide out next to that purpose, there's a little space there. I want you to draw a big smiley face. Because if we're honest, 
When we think about marriage, it starts at the youngest age when we start thinking about marriage all the way up until we get married. We think that marriage is supposed to make us happy. Right. That's what we think. Whether we're correct or not, we think, man, if I get married to this person, my life will just be bliss. (laughs) No, 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 no. It is not that way. Because most of the time, marital stress boils down to unmet expectations. And where do those expectations come from? You. All right. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Now, since all marriages have problems, maybe, just maybe, marital bliss wasn't God's idea in creating marriage. There are two purposes God created marriage for. One is to meet our soul level need for companionship. When God looked down the Garden of Eden, there was one thing that was not good, and that was that man was alone. So what does he do? He created woman as a rescuer. The actual word is rescuer for this state of affairs. Janie has reminded me over and over. It's kind of funny because she heard it at Jason and April's wedding when I said this. Now, every time something happens, you know, I can't find something or I'm frustrated about something. Janie will resolve the issue and she'll come walking in like I couldn't find something the other day. She comes walking in with it. And she goes, I'm a rescuer for this state of affairs. I'm like, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, but she's right. I mean, God designed us. To rescue us from our aloneness, design spouses to rescue us from our aloneness. That's the first purpose. But the second purpose, and we'll talk about it more in a second. The second purpose is to make us look more like Christ. If all marriages have trouble, if it's universal that we have trouble, then maybe happiness isn't God's goal. Maybe holiness is God's goal. And maybe God wants to make you look more like Christ through your spouse. And and you could actually argue, you know, that... um, the tougher your spouse is, the more opportunity God has to mold you to look like Christ. Now, I'm not talking about staying in a marriage where there's dangerous things happening that could harm the, the spouse or the children, things like that. But, but just because your spouse is obstinate, that means God's got more, uh, more tools to work with to work on you. And if we ever get this shift in purpose, this shift in thinking, a lot of marriages could be saved. By the way, there is no such thing as irreconcilable differences. That's a term made up by lawyers to make divorce easier. If two people are willing to reconcile, it takes two. Now, I will acknowledge that it takes two people to reconcile. If two people are willing to reconcile, it can be reconciled. Very often, one person is not willing to reconcile and divorce happens. And and we are not ever going to cast out people that are divorced. That is not what our church is about. We're going to. I've dedicated the rest of my life to helping marriages stay together. And and if that's the second marriage, if that's the 15th marriage, then I'm going to help you as much as I can keep your marriages together. So so don't ever think that I'm getting down on divorce other than to say God hates divorce. Those of you who have been through divorce, you will you will acknowledge you understand why God hates divorce, because it rips families apart. It rips people apart. Um, And so, God, we need to get into God's word and, and follow what he has to say. So we got this wrong purpose. If we can figure out that maybe God wants to make us look like Christ, it can help. All right. There's a third wrong that doesn't make a right. And this is the wrong spouse. And some of you are going, oh, yeah. Now, hang on. Hang on. One of my friends in college got married. He came back after the honeymoon. And we're, we're talking. We're sitting in the hot tub uh, one night. His wife had fixed this dinner. And we're just, you know, kind of chilling out, talking. And, and he goes, dude, on my honeymoon. I rolled over and thought, oh, dear God, what have I done? And he said, I would lay there at night thinking of a way I could get my marriage annulled without telling my mom because my mom would kill me. 
Now, they eventually worked through their issues and they were happily married last that, that I, I heard. Um, but but here's, here, here's the deal. You do need, there needs to be a new spouse in your marriage. And you go, wait a minute, isn't that double talk? No. The spouse that needs to change is you. We need a changed partner, but it's not my partner who needs to change. It's me. It's the person I look at in the mirror. I can't control anyone else anyway. I couldn't make my wife love me. I couldn't make her fall in love with me. I can't make her stay in love with me. I can't make her stay pleased with me. I cannot control my wife. What I can control is my actions, my responses, how I am in a situation. And, and you may be uh, blown away that if we'll change the person we look at in the mirror, what will happen to the person that, that we're married to? They'll change not as a result of pressure we put on them. They'll change because they're shocked that we've changed. You know, um, we, we'll talk about the five love languages in, in, in a couple of weeks. But if you will learn to speak the love language of your spouse... Uh, Gary Chapman is, is the man who came up with this, been counseling for over 30 years, marriage and family counseling. He says, you won't need a new husband, ladies. You'll have a new husband if you learn to speak his love language. And the same goes for the men. We won't need a new wife. We'll have a new wife if we'll learn to give and to serve them um, like Christ loved the church. See, the real deal, and we were talking about this right before church. The real deal is marriage doesn't create more problems. Marriage reveals the problems that already exist in your marriage. I mean, in your life. The worst unresolved issues aren't the ones created in your marriage. They're the ones that you bring in from your family. Because you grew up in a family and they had habits, hurts, and hang-ups. And you thought that was normal. And then you married someone who has habits, hurts, and hang-ups. They thought their family was normal. And you come together and you got two abnormal people saying, this is the way we do it. This is the way we do it. Even even doing Christmas. You know, I mean, you've seen problems that happen at... at uh, Holiday times, you think it's supposed to be done this way just because you've always done it that way. They think, and there are problems. And that's what we need to do. The best way, the best way that you can prepare for marriage, if you're in marriage, the best way you can help your marriage is to resolve some issues that you've been carrying with you for years. And that'll make a huge difference. Well, okay. How do we move from the old black and white, you know, rabbit ear antenna? How do we move into God's high definition of marriage? Well, the first thing we got to do is plug into the 220 power source, the 220 power source. Now, I read you Galatians 110. That's the one, the, the 110 volt power source. That's trying to get the approval of men. Look at Galatians 220. I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see living um, me living is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in those verses, it says, my ego is no longer central. This is the message uh, version of, the, of this passage. My ego is no longer central. Well, how in the world does that work? Well, the way it works is you, you unplug all of those 110 power cords that you're trying to get your source of value from other people, and you plug in the 220, which is the one you were desired to run on, and that is plugging into God. So every day, whenever these negative emotions start going off, you know, you, maybe you have insecurity, maybe you have anger, um, maybe you are, are disappointed in a spouse or in someone else, that ought to be a warning signal going off that, that, that indicates that you need to unplug a 110 power source because you're trying to get your value from somebody else and then plug into God through Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who lives inside of me, who enables me to love that person that maybe I don't love anymore. It, love is a decision, by the way. It's not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Feelings can be what you ate last night. You know, that type of deal. Um, so you plug into God's 220 power source. Now, here's the deal. We celebrated last weekend, we celebrated the most powerful event that's happened in human history. What was it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, by coming back to life, Jesus proved that he was who he said he was. And all of history split into A.D. and B.C. by what event? By Jesus Christ. Whenever you write a check, 2,005 years since what? You're referring back to Jesus Christ since his life here on earth. Well, so Jesus Christ's life was the most powerful event in history. So what? How does that apply to my marriage? Well, according to Ephesians, it has a whole lot to do with your marriage. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. The same power demonstrated when Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. God says the same power that I used at Easter to raise Christ from the dead is available to help you with your problems. So, are there any marriages that need resurrecting? Now, I don't expect anybody to nod their head to that. Do you know of any? Has there somewhere in your experience in life, has there been someone that you knew that the marriage looked dead and it needed to be resurrected? Sure. We know people all the time. We run across them all the time. And, it, and, and our marriages are where we need the power of God the most. Because if Christianity doesn't work in our homes, Christianity does not work. And so the world is looking for something different, something that works. And, and God works in our lives when we turn ourselves over to Him. And, and if you're single, how does this apply to you? Well, the same stress points that we're talking about in marriages actually apply to all relationships. And since uh, studies indicate that 90% of all singles will marry at least once in their lifetime, maybe all of us should pay attention to these things and, and take a few notes during this series. All right. The second thing that we need to do to get a high definition marriage is live out a new purpose. Live out a new purpose. Second Peter 1, 6 says, next, learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. Now, if you were to ask your spouse or your best friend or somebody, um, if you are gladly letting God have his way with you, what kind of answer would you get? I, I don't know that it would always be positive if I were to ask my wife that. Now, here's, here's how this works. Speaking to a single person, one writer said this about marriage. This is awesome. You've got to catch this. If you want to be free to serve Jesus, there's no question. Stay single. Marriage takes a lot of time. But if you want to become more like Jesus, I can't imagine any better thing to do than to get married. Being married forces you to face some character issues you'd never face otherwise. Those of you who are married, is that true? Listen, to, I've got two more quotes I want to read you because these are, these are powerful. Um, a couple of writers said this. One of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. Mm-hmm. And then this one. Marriage is the operation by which a woman's vanity and a man's egotism are extracted without anesthetic. <laughs> ow, ow. But it's true. I mean, when I got married on the honeymoon, I decided I, I discovered um, how selfish I am. Real quickly. So did my wife. <laughs> it became real obvious. And we've been dealing with that for 14 years. And I can honestly say that, that God, God gave me the most incredible woman. God knew who I needed. Um, 
because her strengths are areas where I am just super weak. But when I'm honest, I look and I see that my strengths are areas where she's weak. And what God has begun to do is blend us together. And we can look back and we can see, and, and we'll actually use this visual image, but we can see how God has taken, you know, my candle from the unity candle, which, which is blue, and hers, which is green, and He has molded us into a yellow. Um, because we have become a new, a new color. We're different than we were 14 years ago because God has begun molding our hearts and our souls together. It's another reason why divorce is a big deal, because it rips your soul apart. Now, when we live out this new purpose, um, it not only encourages our spouses, it encourages people around us. It seems that about 80% of the problems in marriage in the world would be solved if we would follow this verse. Philippians 2.4 Care about them as much as you care about yourselves. The root problem in marriage is selfishness. So out there next to that, I want, you know, we put a smiley face up at the top for the purpose. God's purpose is put a cross. Just put a cross out there. The purpose in marriage is to make us look more like Christ. Let's be real honest. If the purpose in marriage was for us to have an infatuation, if that's all it was, was to make us happy and have an infatuation, every one of us would need to go out and get a new marriage every two or three years because infatuation wears off. That's not the purpose in marriage. If we want God to, to change us from the inside out, then I need to concentrate on changing myself instead of changing my spouse. I need to accept responsibility for my part. Your mate will make mistakes and you have you have two choices. You can rub in the mistake they made or you can rub it out. Unforgiveness will kill the spirit of a marriage. Proverbs twenty one nineteen says it is better to live alone in the desert than when a, with a crabby complaining spouse. <laughs> You will bury your marriage if you carry around unforgiveness. And in fact, more marriages have been ruined by bitterness than by adultery, than by alcoholism or abuse. Bitterness is the number one killer of marriages in the United States. Well, worldwide. All right. The third thing we need to do to become to have a high definition marriage is become a new spouse. All of us carry baggage into our um, into our marriages. You carry hurts, you carry habits, you carry hang-ups from your families. And the more pain that you had growing up and, and dealing with, the more baggage you're carrying into that marriage and the more problems you're going to have to resolve. And that's part of the reason why, folks, um, why remarriage has a higher divorce rate than, than first marriages. First marriage, it's a little over 40%. Now, part of that is because there's a lot of folks living together nowadays, and when they split up, they don't count that as a, as a divorce statistic. So it's probably around 50%. Second marriage is divorce at a 60% rate. Third marriage is divorce at a 75% rate. You want to know why? Because we carry that baggage. And then when you talk about another marriage, you're actually adding to the baggage instead of unpacking the baggage. The most helpful thing you can do for your marriage is, is resolve some of those past issues. Um, look at Proverbs 18.1. People who do not get along with others are interested only in themselves. So, if we're going to learn how to have a high-definition marriage, we've got to get over the selfishness part and um, be responsible for our part. And, and that's exactly what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 5. Each person must be responsible for himself. We can't control everything else. We can control ourselves, so accept responsibility. Now, here's the last thing. Um, the fourth thing. If we're going to move from, from analog to digital, if we're going to have this high-clarity, high-definition marriage, the last thing is to live with a covenant, not a contract. Live with a covenant, not a contract. And I'm going to explain what that is. 
We live in a contract society, don't we? You buy a house, what do you sign? A contract. You get a cell phone, what do you sign? A contract. We have contracts everywhere for everything that you can imagine. You get a dish satellite system, you sign a contract that you're going to keep them for at least 12 months, that type of deal. And part of the problem is that we have tried to turn marriage into a contract relationship and God never intended it for it, for it to be a contract relationship. In the Old Testament, when a human being was in covenant with another human being, they do several things. But one of the things they would do is they would um, recite vows and take pledge pledges to one another. One of the ceremonies was this was of the covenant um, required that they take an animal and they they actually literally saw the animal in two and they would put half the animal over here and they would put half the animal over here. Then they would stand up. This was called the walk of death because the animal died so that this covenant could be made. They put an half there, half there, and they would walk through. And as they would walk through, they would look at the other person that they were going to be in covenant with. And they would say, may God do to me as we have done to this animal if I break covenant with you. They're saying this is a blood deal. This is me giving up my rights for your rights. This is a a lifetime deal. I will not break this because I'm standing before God and I'm saying, God, rip me in in into and kill me if I go back on the vows that I've made today. Then the other partner would look them in the eye, walk through the middle of that and say, may God do to me as we've done to this animal. If I break covenant with you, it was a huge deal. Now. The foundation of high definition marriages has to be a covenant, not a contract. Because contracts are too easy to back out of. Marriage was designed by God as a covenant, which means till death do us part. Now, have you ever wondered about the symbolism of a wedding? Ever wondered why there is a bride side and a groom side? Because when you walk down the aisle, that is your walk of death. I'm not saying the bride's side and I'm not saying you're half a dead animal. You know, that type of thing. Those of you sitting out there, you are walking down and you're saying this is a covenant that I am asking God to put his blessing on. And by the way, isn't it interesting that that whenever um, we get married, we come to the church house. And ask God's blessing on it. But when we get a divorce, we go to the courthouse. And ask man's blessing on that. Now, we've got to do some things to make our marriages permanent covenant relationships. And, and regardless of where you are, I'm not, I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about from this point, we're drawing a line in the sand. We're saying from now on, we're going to be forward looking, future looking. From wherever you are now, it has got to be a covenant relationship if we're going to make marriage work and if we're going to, to help people um, in our world. Weddings are filled with forever world words and everything is perfect. Because <laughs> you're pretending. I mean, you don't know when you're standing up there. I love you. You know, I'm going to love you forever. That was just that just popped in my mind. Sorry, I won't do that again. Um, I was I was listening on the way home from this conference yesterday. I'm flipping through the channels because I'm you know, I'm out there about Madisonville and there's not squat on the radio out there. So I'm just seeking and, and I'm not a big country fan. Now, I'll dance to it when we have our second chance prom. I'll be out there busting, you know, two step. That's about that's about how I dance. Um, but but I'm not a real big fan of, of country western. Well, Willie Nelson comes on and uh, and it was that 
You were always on my mind. I started listening to the words of that song. Maybe I didn't love you quite as often as I could have. But you were always on my mind. I'm going, no, she wasn't. No, if she's on your mind, you're going to do something about that. If you're in a covenant, high definition type marriage. The thought does not count, does it, Keith? (laughs) The thought does not count. (laughs) We've got to do some things that demonstrate. Because I tell you, when I do things that, that ease my wife's burden... And we'll talk about this as we come up in the weeks ahead. One day I, I did the dishes. I mean, I, was, I, I do that generally, but I do the dishes and then she usually loads them in the dishwasher and I hate unload them because I don't know where they go. Well, one day I did all of that. And she came in and, and it was like, she goes, is that the dishwasher running? And I go, yeah. She comes up and lays this big old kiss on me. And, and we'd watched one of these, what, you know, everybody loves Raymond. And one time he was vacuuming and she said, you have never been more attractive to me in our marriage, you know, than he's over there vacuuming. And Janie said, when you do things like that for me, it shows me that you love me and you become very attractive to me. I'm like, Whoo, I'm washing dishes again. You know, I may be dumb, but I can figure it out every, every now and then. The true test is what happens after the wedding day. The world is watching and looking for some high definition marriages. We've got to decide that we're going to provide those, whatever the cost. Now, the world has seen way too many of the other ones. And uh, it's time for us to draw a line in the sand and say, yeah, we're going to try to build that, the high-definition marriage. So four things you need. The right power source, the right purpose, the right spouse, and the right type of agreement. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, we've got, we've got married folks, we've got single folks here. Whatever your marital status, would you say to God, I want a high-definition life? Would you just say that to Him in your mind right now? And would you say, God, whatever it takes for me to have that high-definition life, I want you to do in me. If you're married, would you say, God, I want a high-definition marriage? And would you admit that maybe the cause of the problems in your marriage, maybe part of the cause was due to your selfishness? If so, just confess that to God. He knows it already. And the Bible says that when we are weak, and that means when we confess before God, we're powerless to change. That's when He is strong. And if you really want help in your marriage, help in anything, you can't live in denial. You've got to live in honesty. And you've got to say, I've been messing up. So would you say, God, come and from starting today, April 3rd, would you begin opening my eyes to areas I need to change? Would you begin showing me my weaknesses, my faults, And would you show me that that all of those are covered by your blood at the cross? Early in my marriage, I used to pray all the time, God, help me to be tender and compassionate, forgiving Janie just as you forgave me. Would you pray something like that? God, help me to forgive my spouse. Help me to forgive people in my life just as you forgave me. 
You do that one thing this week. And you watch the clarity of your marriage begin to go higher and higher. Just start with that this week. Begin forgiving others as Christ forgave you. And I hope that you'll come back and that you'll bring others in the weeks ahead. Because marriage problems are all around us. Father, we thank you for a chance to come and open up your word. And we thank you that your word has wisdom for anything that we face. There's a promise for scripture for every problem we face. And the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to resurrect some marriages, to resurrect some friendships, to resurrect some family relationships. And we call upon that power now, God, and ask you to do things so incredible that nobody can ever give us the credit. They say there must be a God who's at work in your life. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.